0: we mm-hmm. Everybody, this is Chris, welcome to episode 146 of x lapse Where uh, we're finally getting an epilogue to uh, the Festival of Swords, X of Tens uh, We've uh, covered what, about uh, at least a half dozen uh, Reign of X titles so far But it's finally with this issue that we're going to get a little bit of uh, what happens next At least for the overall uh, arc of uh, wherever it is that we're headed Now, today, we're going to be talking about X-Men, Volume 5, Number 16. It had a February 2021 cover date. The story is called Sorted Out, written by Jonathan Hickman, with art by Phil Noto. Letters, VCs, Clayton Cowles, Designs, Tom Muller, Edits, Bisa White, Cebulski, cover price $3.99. This one went on sale December 30th of 2020. Now, before we get into the issue itself here, I do want to just look at the cover here, uh, briefly. Briefly, because, uh... Over the past week or so, I started putting together a lot of the, uh, you know, my my silly album art You know, where I manipulate the cover in some sort of way and do the sepia tone and put it behind our little logo and stuff You know, the thing I do every day Well, I did like the next 15 or 20 of those uh, during the past week here Just getting a little bit ahead of schedule here and I noticed that a couple of the issues that we're going to be covering over the next several weeks had, like, the eyes of Krakoa toward the top uh, of, the, uh, of the of of the the cover in the background here. Uh, off the top of my head, it's this issue, and there's also an issue of Excalibur that'll be coming up pretty soon that has the eyes of Krakoa in the background here. I don't know if it means anything. I don't know. And, I mean, a cover is a cover, and I mean covers... By and large, don't really matter anymore, so maybe this is just a coincidence. Maybe there's no thematic link between these issues, Uh, or maybe maybe this is a hint, maybe something we need to pay attention to. I couldn't say one way or another, just something that stood out to me, (laughs) and I figured I would mention it. So, let's get into the issue itself here. We open on Krakoa, with Cyclops, Rachel, and Kid Cable looking on as the Arako Point, which uh, we first saw that back in X-Men number 2, and it's where the Summers family went and they met the creepy summoner for the first time. We see this point being pushed away from Krakoa. Now, you see, the external gate was created at the Arako Point, and that gate will somehow bring the rest of Arako over to Earth, you know, per the trade agreement at the end of X of Tens. So, uh, hey, at least that answers that. Arako will be on 616 Earth, so that's a good thing. Anyway, that's exactly what happens. Arako appears, and just when it looks as though it will remerge with Krakoa in order to become Okara, well, it doesn't. Hmm. Uh, the, uh, the islands are... Uh, they're not on the same wavelength at the moment. It's worth noting that Rocco is a whole lot bigger than Krakoa and is rather mountainous. You can see just like peaks everywhere here. So really makes Krakoa look uh, very small. And we're, we'll, we'll come to find out that it is, you know, a good deal smaller and a great deal less dense with a uh, mutant humanity. I guess we could say. From here, double page spread of roll call and creds. This issue will focus on Cyclops, Rachel Summers, Kid Cable, Cypher, Professor X, Call Me Kate, Magneto, Emma Frost, Mystique, Exodus, Nightcrawler, Sebastian Shaw, Mr. Sinister, Storm, Iska the Unbeaten, and Jean Grey. Back to comics, and we next join Cypher as he tries to broker a chat between the living islands of Krakoa and Orocco Krakoa itself rises out of the island, looking like a weird, less... Like a giant, less swampy swamp thing Or, like I guess, a tree um, It trudges into the drink Where it meets the giant tree version Of Araco. Doug attempts to mediate this discussion Which doesn't go too far And so, Doug reports his findings To the Quiet Council Now, it's worth noting Before getting in too deep here, despite this issue coming out several weeks after Marauders number 16, Sebastian Shaw appears to be in his usual state. Which is to say, Kitty, Emma, Storm, and Lockheed haven't yet, you know, done the thing to him. Anyway, the Council wonders, since the islands don't seem willing to merge, exactly what the whole point of this Festival of Swords was, which... I don't know if they're uh, if they're representing a large swath of the readership here, uh, accidentally or on purpose. But uh, I'm wondering that myself. Um, well, if they didn't know by now that they were being used as pawns by Saturnine, then you know I don't know what to tell them. That that was kind of the point of it. Anyway, Doug he uh, mentions that uh, he reminds everyone that uh, because of this bloated event, he got himself a wife. And a half-hearted round of thumbs-ups from his peers follows It's like, yeah, great kid, yeah, good for you, pal uh, Magneto then turns things over to Mr. Sinister Who might serve as something of a de facto expert on all things Orocco, Since he's the only member of the Quiet Council who actually went there Or so they think Now we know from the Hellions 2 parter That Sinister sent a clone to Araco in his stead That clone died And so this Sinister, I'm not entirely sure if they've got the hive mind thing going on, but he's probably not quite as knowledgeable about the place as the others might think. He simply declines to speak here, citing that the memories are just too painful. So, uh, I don't know where we'd put that on the sassy Sinister meter, but, uh, it's it's something, I guess. Now Doug asks Krakoa if there's any way the islands might reconsider and rejoin. Krakoa replies that it's not really a problem for the mutants to worry about, it's just uh, the two halves aren't gelling. Doug then reminds the council that, uh, well, it's not just Orocco that showed up in the 616, it's all them mutants who live on Orocco as well, like millions of them. Emma Frost asks what they intend to do with all of them, which prompts Xavier and Magneto to decide to go on a little welcoming visit. And so, we shift scenes over to Orocco. Where we see Iska the Unbeaten killing a remaining Amenthi demon, which is uh, kind of troubling. In it, um, let's just hope this is the last Amenthi demon because I really don't want to read another 22-part story about the Amenthes that stowed away on Arako. Let's not even put that out into the universe. Anyway, she's greeted by Charles and Eric, and while it's not an outright contentious exchange, it's definitely less than cordial. Now Xavier presents her with a gateway plant to facilitate travel between the islands, and uh, she doesn't seem impressed. Uh, We get the impression that the Iraqis look down on the Krakoans and their attempt at creating a culture. She calls the uh, Magneto and Professor X children running a child government. She's also less than impressed at the idea that the mutants are willing to share this planet with humans. And uh, she even tries to give them a little bit of credit And assumes that these humans are something, you know, very, very special To which Magneto's like, nah, they're just people They're just men, you know, so uh, Not winning any points with all Now, Iska reveals that it's not only the island itself That isn't keen on integration or rejoining with Krakoa It's her people as well Though, she assures them that she'll present this to the Great Ring of Araco for consideration, which is their take on the Quiet Council. This takes us to an info page all about, hey, that Great Ring of Araco. Just like the Quiet Council, it's broken into four groups of three members each. There are also two spots for the island itself and its translator, just like Doug and Krakoa. So let's go through them. We got the Dark Quarter. Seat one, Iska the Unbeaten. We gotta assume that she took that seat from Genesis, who is not here anymore. Seat two is Idle. Now, I wanna say this was the like the prophet or the precog who uh, warned the original Iraqi uh, Quiet Council unit of the fall of Morocco, uh during the uh, the story that we got twice. We got it in X Men 14 and X Men 12. Uh, And I also want to say that uh, this idol was presented as a cohort or a cribmate of the creepy summoner. And, you know, this might be interesting, uh, as idols' powers are, uh, well, they're kind of similar to those of Destiny, and we know she's a no-go right now, so that is uh, quite interesting. Seat three is Tarn the Uncaring. Hey, we know that guy. That's the guy with the locust vial who absolutely destroyed the Hellions when they went over to swipe the swords. If you you don't remember, he's kind of the Iraqi take on Mr. Sinister. He's a a geneticist and just a mad scientist who, uh... He's kind of a creep, and his his locust vial are... Very, very creepy So that is interesting to see him in a position of power here And it does open up a lot of possibilities Knowing that he's even just on this planet Is, uh, is interesting in and of itself Now the second quarter are, is the Dusk Quarter Seat 4, Aura Serrata the Witness Seat 5 is Stalgid or Stalgid. Seat 6 is Lotus Logos and, um, now those are some, uh, rather generic Hickmany names, aren't they? Uh, I don't know who any of those folks are. I'm gonna assume they're new, or maybe I glossed over them when I read X-Men 12 and 14. I don't know. Uh, the third quarter is the day quarter. Seat seven is Lactuka, Okay. Seat eight is Redacted. We don't know who that is. And seat nine is Sabunar. So, even more generic Hickmany names. I gotta hope at least one of these characters has antlers, right? Uh, these are high concepts. Uh, seats 10 and 11 belong to Oroko, the island itself, and Redroot, the forest, as a translator. Unfortunately, Redroot is currently living in a jar at Bad Jim Jasper's place for breaking something during a foot race with uh, Captain Avalon back in the Exa 10 story. The fourth and final quarter is the night quarter, and seats 12 through 14 are all redacted, so we don't know who any of these folks are. We turn the page and we get another info page, and this is a diagram of the seating arrangement for the Great Ring, which, I mean, it's wildly unnecessary. We could have all probably assumed that they had a similar formation to the Quiet Council, which they do. From here we go back to comics, and we're back to Kokoa. Magneto and Xavier present an opportunity to Cyclops and Jean. Now, since the Quiet Council is down to ten members, they suggest that A, Jean retake her seat, and B, Cyclops takes the seat left vacant by Apocalypse. And they both decline, citing that their current goal of officially reforming the X-Men is their top priority, and that the X-Men need to be something completely separate from the Quiet Council. Xavier and Magneto begrudgingly understand Cyclops assures them that he will continue with his responsibilities as a Cohen captain Which kind of reminds me, are they going to replace Gorgon Or are they just going to slot him right back into uh, the position Even though he, well we don't know how he came back But we heard he came back weird, so, hmm Now we wrap up the issue with Xavier asking Scott and Jean How they're going to put together their team to which, they suggest that, since the X-Men are a group for the people, perhaps it's best they put it to a vote. Then, an info page, and it's an election poster. It's the same one that Marvel used on their site to promote the fan vote for the final member of the team, which I totally forgot about. I I wonder who won. I I haven't the foggiest idea. Anywho, uh, the new X-Men team will debut at the Hellfire Gala, which we've heard some rumblings about before X-10's got in the way. Not sure exactly when or where that's going to happen, just, uh, I guess we can just keep our fingers crossed and hope sooner than later we we get this gala and we finally get a team in this book. Now, next episode, we're going to be taking a look at X-Factor, but uh, let's talk about this one, and... Stop me if you heard this one before, but I'm of two minds when it comes to this issue I, I think I've been saying that a lot lately <laughs> I feel like that's becoming uh, one of the uh, the X-Labs chestnuts here Where there's a lot to like about this issue But there's also a lot to maybe not so much be concerned about or worried about But just uh, kind of just be indifferent toward um, I, I ultimately come out of it uh, feeling positive It's a net positive issue and I don't know how much of that is because we're getting the illusion of uh, something happening, right? Progression. You know, the A uh, maturation of this story here. It feels like, for the first time, I feel like we're in the next phase of this story. You know, we know that Arako coming is going to be a huge thing. Maybe not just for the X-Men, but for the entire Marvel Universe. We're getting millions of... New mutants who uh, I don't know how many of them are crossbred with Amenti demons, but you gotta assume some of them. <laughs> so I mean, this is basically like dropping a million Omega or near Omega level mutants on an unwitting planet, and uh, I gotta assume that uh, this is not gonna just slip under the radar. So I'm excited for that. I'm excited for that, but at the same time, I'm a little trepidatious. Let's uh, let's let's talk about it here. Let me let me try to break it down here because I feel like I'm getting ahead of myself. I appreciate this issue in that it it gives us this feeling of progression. Um, I'm not sure how much actual progression we got here, but it felt like we were moving forward. On the other hand, uh, we talk a little bit about seeing patterns where they may or may not exist on this show. Sometimes, where when you're looking for a pattern, it's gonna show up and. I feel like this is very much a pattern indicative of um, the things I don't like about Jonathan Hickman's storytelling. In that, I mean, one of our main takeaways here is that we know uh, some—we uh, know a little bit about the Iraqi version of the Quiet Council in the uh, in the Ring of whatever the hell it was—and we just get these names. You know, I feel like that's something that Hickman does He just, uh, he he pulls out like these sort of cool sounding names And they'll probably be attached to moderately interesting looking characters But then that's kind of just it You know, maybe they'll each have like one quirk that'll define them And uh, just kind of make, justify their existence Just like we saw with the uh, the Iraqi uh, contingent in, uh In the Festival of Swords there It's like we didn't get a whole lot of personality For a lot of these characters It was just They were just means to an end And uh, I wasn't confident That we'd be seeing any of them again I mean that does remain to be seen I'm I'm guessing we will be seeing Iska We will be seeing uh, Bay since she's married to Doug But for the most part I feel like those characters were presented To fit into one story And that was it and that's what I, I kind of worry that this is where we're headed with this new Iraqi council. It's just, here's some cool names. And I, and I feel like I've seen that in, in Hickman's Avengers uh, with ex Nahilo and those people. And it's just not something that inspires a whole lot of confidence uh, in me for this, uh, for this direction. Hopefully, I'm wrong. Hopefully, I'm wrong. Hopefully, these characters come and they knock my socks off. <laughs> but uh, I don't know that I'm holding my breath. Now we did get some questions answered here We do know that Arako is on 616 Earth I mean, that's obvious That happened in this issue But in so doing, it also cleared up another question I had About the whereabouts of Apocalypse and Genesis Because I don't know if it's just me conflating these names Because we're getting weird names here Like Amenth and Arako and Okara I mean, we're getting weird names here It's hard to keep them straight Uh, Granted, I'm just an idiot reader But I think I might be wrong, but I think some of the creators are having a, having a little spot of trouble with this as well Because I'm pretty sure we heard that uh, Apocalypse was on Orocco and Ameth Again, I, I could be mistaken But uh, at least here we know for a fact that Apocalypse is not on Orocco because Orocco is on Earth Instead, he and his uh, blushing bride are on Ameth Living among the, uh, the creepy demons So I, I like that we have the answers that's something that I've been asking since, uh, since the uh, crossover ended. I wanted to get some firm confirmation on exactly where some of these pieces landed. And it's definitely nice to have a bit of an understanding, uh, if not a complete understanding, at least a bit of an understanding as to where where everything kind of sits at the moment. Um, on a similar subject here, uh, Genesis leaving and going to menth opened up her seat on the Iraqi council. Which Iska? We gotta assume Iska took that seat. Um, we only really know the uh, the council members or the ring masters. I don't know <laughs> in the first uh, quadrant. There we know Iska, we know uh, Idol, and we know um, uh, Tarn the Uncaring. So let's talk a little bit about them here. Um, first, Iska, uh, which who had a wonderful scene with Xavier and Magneto here, and it's funny. Because uh, it really shows the naivete, and it, it proves Iska's point, uh, referring to Xavier and Magneto as children running a children's uh, run, a, ch- a children running a child's nation, right, or a child's government, just playing, pretending to be world powers because they don't know what they're doing. You know, uh, they really are ill-equipped. They don't have the experience to to run a nation and to broker these deals. And the fact that they thought, going into this, that, okay, we have millions of new mutants, new near-Omega-level mutants who've been half crossbred with demons coming to Earth and just assuming right away that they're just going to be they're going to be cool with rejoining with Krakoa and, you know, sitting in the circle and singing Kumbaya. I mean, how pie in the sky is that? I really, really like the way that was presented because they went there full of good intentions. They brought their little plant, you know, to uh, to, to you know open up as a gateway. And she's just like, what are you doing? You guys don't know anything. It's really funny. Because, I mean, we can talk about things like integration Just even among among people, right? How hard it is to integrate I, I, Not just outside of cultures But, I mean, just even outside of areas of co- the country you live in If you come from the Northeast United States And you move to the South or the Southwest or the West You may have, like, a similar belief structure to your next-door neighbor You might have uh, You might look exactly the same as them You might exhibit some of the same behaviors but there's an integration there You have to you have to acclimate to your surroundings here And the fact that Xavier and Magneto just assumed That this entire island, this giant island f- Cluttered, full of mutants Is just going to be like, okay, we're on Earth now Let's all be friends, let's all just acclimate right away It's pretty funny And it really speaks to um, not only their inexperience But just, uh, we talked a little bit uh, About the Krakoan Ethnocentrism, or the mutant ethnocentrism Uh, I think we talked about that During the Storm Solo Where she went into Wakanda And how, uh, how All they see Is the mutant, they don't see anything Else, which I don't know if that's intentional I don't know if Xavier only seeing Mutant is something That we're supposed to notice Or if it's just a byproduct of the direction Of the story, but I think that that's a pretty great statement in um, in how you know people do that. You know, you pay attention to one specific thing and you disregard everything else. So Xavier sees these mutants as just mutants, and all mutants are brothers and sisters. So ipso facto, we're all a family. Uh, to which Isk is like, nope, <laughs> that's not going to work that way. Really, really strong scene. I, I liked it a lot. It uh, it said so much in so little time, and it was done very subtly, to the point where I'm not even sure if it was intentional, which is great. Great stuff, great writing there. I, I really, really dug that. Let's talk about Idol. Idol, the precog or the prophet or whatever, the, the, the one who can kind of make predictions. This is going to be an interesting one, perhaps, since, uh... I mean, we, we've we been dealing with the fact that Maura does not want Mystique to... Or Destiny to come back, which vexes Mystique. And she even kind of makes a snide comment about that here in this issue when Doug uh, brings it to everyone's attention that he got married and he has a wife. And she kind of scowled because her wife is uh is still in the queue, right? She's still buffering. <laughs> they won't let her back yet, so... Again, very kind of subtle, right? I mean, to the point where I don't know if it was intentional or not. It might have just been Mystique be having a bad day and just being like, ah, screw you, Doug. You know, but we can also take it as a very subtle jab and or, or at least a, uh, a reference to her uh, frustration, which, really good, subtle writing. I really dug that. So, we can't have destiny, but the Iraqis have idol. Who has similar powers To that of Destiny So how's that going to work? Is that going to be A bone of contention between the two islands? Is, is Mora going to have Is she going to try to get someone To take Idol out? Um, I think this could lead to A lot of very very interesting things And I, I hope it does so I'm sure we're going to be talking about this one a lot more as we move forward here Because, uh, like I said, you see patterns where you want to And I uh, I want to, so I might uh, Let's talk about Tarn, the uncaring here uh, Now, Tarn is interesting for a lot of reasons First, it's just an interesting character Second, he got the Locust Vile, who are just absolute horrors Third, and most important Tarn knows what happened to the Hellions And... He may know that Mister Sinister uh, had uh, sent his, you know, DNA mosquitoes out to uh, take some of Minthe, uh, samples back during uh, Exit 10's here. Of course, Sinister is playing coy. He murdered his team when they when they came back through the portal, and so they wouldn't know. Uh, since you know, upon resurrection, they wouldn't know what he had, uh, what his designs were for the trip. But here we have Tarn. Who knows So this could be very interesting as well Um, We don't know quite how much Tarn knows But he might know just enough To make Sinister have a uh, Make him a little uncomfortable And make people uh, raise their eyebrows More than they usually do When when Sinister is about So I'm happy about all that stuff I The rest of the uh, Iraqi council yeah, we'll just uh, reserve judgment I guess that's probably the smart thing to do Since uh, we don't know anything about them Just first blush It just sounds like some very, very hickman ideas <laughs> And uh, and I, I know I've referenced this a time or two before But um, I think my main concern here Is just how little this feels like an X-Men story I think that's kind of where I'm getting You know, it's like the, the my belt loop is getting stuck on that And I can't move past it um, and I know I've mentioned this before, but uh, I remember when the DC Rebirth started and uh, rumors were were flying that uh, Hickman was going to come and revitalize and repair and rescue the Legion of Superheroes, right? Never came to pass. I also remember, uh, not too terribly long ago, when they mentioned that the Eternals were going to be getting a movie for whatever reason, because that's a boring concept. But I remember Hickman was attached to that, at least in the rumor sense, right? His name was tossed around or bandied around with other names that would be involved in the Eternal story here. And I wonder how much truth there is to either of those, because these concepts that we're getting here feel like they'd be more at home in a Legion book, or an Eternals book, rather than an X-Men book, so... I mean, there's nothing wrong with reusing your ideas or repurposing ideas, but it just doesn't feel x many to me. And like I said, my belt loop's getting stuck on that. You know, I'm trying to make my way through this uh, this little labyrinth here, and I'm stuck. <laughs> so it it hampers my ability to just let go and enjoy for uh, for what things are worth here. Of course, if I were a better adjusted human being, I would. Uh, I'd probably enjoy this far more than than I do. I wouldn't have all these kind of worries percolating in the back of my head here. But overall, overall, I'll stop talking. <laughs> I enjoyed the issue. Uh, I probably don't even need to say that Phil Noto is Phil Noto and is fantastic. Um, just a, a fine issue. It, we finally feel... It finally feels like we're here in the Reign of X You know, it feels like we have Taken that step forward And we are in I don't know if this is the second Third of the story or the second quarter Of the of Hickman's overarching Story for the X-Men, but uh It feels like we're no longer In the Dawn of X The fact that we're still kind of world building Is maybe not so much Troubling, but I mean Get on with it <laughs> But uh it does feel like we're getting somewhere. So I will, I will stop repeating myself and babbling at this point and just tie it off here. And we will hop into the mailbag here. It's, it's going to be brief. Uh, we have one message from Damien. He's talking about Marauders number 16. He says, Marauders is by far my favorite current X-book, but I really had problems with this issue. The humorous way that the attack on Shaw is presented it was in is in pretty bad taste, but I can accept a bit of black humor. Rather, it was the end of the issue that made me uncomfortable. The scene with Shaw being wheeled into the Quiet Council felt really wrong. I do not believe that Kitty and Storm would do that, and I do not believe that in 2021 disability should be used as a punchline. Now, I agree. I definitely agree. And issue 16 of Marauders, um... It was an uncomfortable read. I think uh, that's probably putting it lightly. I, I, I compared it to the the movie audition, uh, Maraudition, where uh, Shaw was uh, put through the ring. And I mean, it's strange that yeah, you know, I mean Shaw is a ruthless individual who's done horrible things and would continue to do horrible things. But seeing him in this position, as Damien put it here, it was it, there was humor to it. It was definitely black humor, black comedy. But it was also very uncomfortable. It was, uh, you know, we, we talk about characters acting out of character. And it, it's hard for me to wrap my mind around Kitty or Storm being a party to that. I mean, Lockheed is a, is a dragon. He could do whatever. Uh, and Emma, uh, we've seen Emma do things far worse than this. And we know Emma and Shaw have a very complicated and very dark uh, relationship, so I mean, all bets are off here. But it was a very disconcerting story from from beginning to end. Um, of course, we can accept things for what they are, but it was uh, it was uncomfortable, and it made me wonder how. You you know me. I always talk about how do we walk this back. You know, we play it forward, but how do we walk it back? And this is one of those scenes where. You know, my my sense was pinging, and it's like, okay, how do we how do we ride ourselves out of this? How do we walk this one back? Can we walk this one back? And I'm not sure. I'm honestly not sure we can here. And the fact that we use uh, Shaw in his uh, you know wheelchair state as the punchline—it's in poor taste. It's in it's in poor taste here. I'm gonna let uh, I'm gonna continue with Damien's um, Damien's message here, but I'm gonna I'm gonna come back to this in just a bit. Damien continues. My husband is in a wheelchair is a wheelchair user, as are many of our friends. And maybe I'm too into the disability rights community to let it pass. But I genuine- genuinely think this lets down the story. Marauders is better than that. Now that I was unaware of, and um, this is another indictment on me, and uh, the way I, the way I look at this, and I mean I just mentioned it a minute ago. I get so wrapped up in the comicsness of it, right? I, I get wrapped around the axle, wondering how how are we going to fix Kitty? How are we going to fix Storm? Where I totally disregard the real life um, parallels and how this. Could be received by someone who this hits, you know, closer to home. So I definitely want to thank you for kind of opening my eyes to that because it's not something I ever really think about, and I try to be better about that than than I, you know, just than just being a comic guy who worries about comic things here. But you're completely right. Um, the ending, despite the fact that I thought the entire issue, the entire story, was a little bit of a difficult read here, the ending. Definitely lets down everything that came before Like I said, we could, uh, like you said actually We could accept a lot of the things as just dark, dark humor, dark comedy The ending is, it's a letdown for sure Um, Damien continues This came up again last night when we were Zooming with a friend She's a wheelchair user and also a comics fan And via a conversation about modern movies being too long We ended up talking about superhero movies she recommended Birds of Prey, but mentioned that they had removed the most interesting character in Oracle, and how annoyed she was when the New 52 cured her. We ended up briefly discussing how bad comics are at disability, and it really underlined how flippantly disability is treated in general. The fact that I had that conversation the same day I reread this issue of Marauders really crystallized my objections to this issue. I see that WizKid is in Swords, so maybe we're going to get some better representation. Fingers crossed. Well, yes, there's a lot to take apart in that statement there. I I hate going back to just being, you know, a comics guy complaining about comics things. But uh, I was definitely of uh, of the same mind when the New 52 cured Oracle here. I didn't understand the reasoning for it, especially during, you know, the day and age where comics are trying to be, at least they're claiming to to try to be more representative of of a diverse readership. Just uh, you know, the world outside your window. Everybody, everybody is represented, and here you take the most iconic wheelchair user in comics out of the wheelchair. I, I don't I don't get that, um, and the, and I and I understand the, the character of Batgirl is. It's not a great character, but it's iconic, as iconic as a Bat character can be. But for so much of her history here, and this is something I think is lost on a lot of of current year or current era fans here, she was kind of a jokey character. She really didn't do a whole heck of a lot. She didn't, you know, her her reputation uh, succeeded her. Right? It was only after she was not in the costume anymore That people were like, oh man, where's Batgirl? Oh, Batgirl was great It's like, no, she wasn't <laughs> She really she really wasn't As Oracle, she became the mo- one of the most vital characters In the entire DC Universe One of the most important characters in the DC Universe One of the most skillful characters in the DC Universe The JLA deferred to her Batman deferred to her. She was so important. And it sh- I mean, you'd want to talk about representation. I think Barbara Gordon as Oracle showing that you could be a hero without having to, you know, go punch and kick and, and swing from buildings. You could be a hero. You could be just as important to a story as Superman, you know? And the fact that they, they took her out, I just don't see who that serves. She went from being like the straw that stirred the drink To being featured in like The seventh Highest selling bat book That came out in a given month It, it just really didn't help anybody here And uh, I, I could totally See um, her being Cured as uh, Hitting a little close to home For uh, for a contingent of the fandom um, and, and I mean that's not something I ever thought about before And I, I apologize and I want to thank you for Helping me to see it that way, because when I look at it again, I look at it as a comic thing, and it's like, wow, we we had a really good character there, and now she's just different. You know, now she's you know back in the bat costume, and not nearly as important to the universe at large here. But again, I'm not drawing parallels to any real life stuff. It's just me being a uh, what do they call us? Entitled, petulant uh, fan baby, or whatever they're. Calling us <laughs> nowadays But uh, no, I want to thank you so much For such a Such a personal message And uh, really just opening my eyes To something And and you're doing this a lot to me, Damien And, I, and it means the world to me That you're so willing to share And uh, I just hope my responses aren't Too uh, off-putting Or horrendous Or just cringy. I, I really hope not But that, my friends Is where we're going to tie a bow In the mailbag for today if anybody out there would like to be a part of the mailbag, talk about anything you'd like to talk about, please feel free to write in. You can reach me on Twitter at Ace Comics, or you can shoot me an email over to weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. You can find blog posts and show notes over at com. There's also com for just the x stuff. You can chat us up on Facebook. Our little group is 90s X-Men, and uh, we've had a few new members, so thank you. So much for uh, joining in on uh, you know the the one thing I post every day. I'll try to get better about that. Um, and if you want to hear hundreds, if not thousands, of hours of comics-related podcasts, check out chrisandreggie.podbean.com. I probably don't have to tell you all this, but it's on like iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spotify, all the places, and probably one of the places that you're hearing my voice on right this very minute. Uh, we're on all noise aggregates. So uh, you could find us wherever Uh, On that same subject here If you do like the show Or at least appreciate the effort that goes behind it Every single day Please do me a favor And spread the word Tell folks who you think might dig it To uh, check it out Because it's a thing that's here And it's always here for you So I would very much appreciate it Uh, But that is where we will leave it for today I want to thank you all so, so much For sharing your time with me today And until next time, as always I'll talk to you again real soon See ya!